I'm Russ White at the Network Collective, and this is a Network Collective short take. In this short take, I'll be talking about overlays, service meshes, and service fabrics. Way back in the early days of computer networks, tunnels were invented to solve some very specific problems, such as carrying traffic through a section of the network where the control plane doesn't have forwarding information for the final destination, or carrying encrypted traffic in the case of IPsec, TLS, and other protocols like this. Over time, however, tunneling became a mechanism for traffic engineering. This primarily happened through MPLS, but in other ways, tunneling became a way to do traffic engineering. To do traffic engineering, you need a set of tunnels between every pair of edge points in the network, and potentially more than that. Well, this is obviously a pain to manually configure, and seems like a lot of network state to maintain. Hence, it is easier to build an entire control plane that manages building these tunnels, drawing traffic into the tunnels, and other things like this. Hence, the overlay concept was born. Overlays provide a simplified, segmented, logical network for applications to run on top of. They sometimes provide an optimized Layer 2 network on top of a Layer 3 network. Of course, sometimes it's not optimized. It's actually not a very well-built Layer 2 network on top of a Layer 3 network. Most overlays have a separate control plane designed to manage the overlay connections, reachability, and other things like this. They can often be dynamically connected or dynamically connect different points on the network on the physical underlay network based on traffic flow needs. Applications worked on top of these overlay networks for many years. In fact, they still do. Some people still don't even have overlay networks. But applications in hyperscale networks have moved towards from monoliths towards a service-oriented architecture, or an SOA. This might be implemented as something called a microservice, but it might be as might not be as well. It just depends. So you have to separate the concepts of SOA and microservices in your head. They're often related, and sometimes they're not. Overlays, however, do not always provide good support for service-oriented architectures or microservices. There's too much connectivity required by the overlying service. The overlying services are too dynamic. The connectivity is too dynamic. Devices or services spin up and spin down too quickly. So an overlay typically is not fast enough and doesn't provide the kind of services that an SOA or a microservices architecture requires. So let's take one step back and think about why we even have layer two overlays in the first place. Why are they so popular? There are really only two ways to discover a service on a network. You can send a packet to everyone through a multicast or a broadcast or something like this and see who answers for that particular service. Or you have some sort of service registration system. Each instance of a process or a service registers with this registration service. To find some service, an instance can ask the registration service in, in return to give it information about a particular instance or a particular instance of a given service. Service fabrics or service meshes are designed to support these service-oriented architectures. A service fabric can be considered a distributed platform for building microservices in the cloud. In fact, what I'm talking about right now is a short research paper that was published by Azure and the University of Illinois in order to give people a little overview of service fabrics and their use cases. So let's look at some of the requirements for service fabrics that are given in this document. 
First of all, there is strong consistency. Most applications developed in a microservices model require strong consistency. This typically would mean having some sort of atomic service or atomicity in the network itself or in the application services. It can also mean consistent performance across the network. So these two things or these kinds of things contribute to the consistency requirements of a microservices or an SOA type of application. These can be developed, of course, once per application, or they could be added to the service fabric itself. So the service fabric itself could provide this kind of consistency that the application needs. In an environment where many applications need a consistent data store, consistency across the network, other things like this, it can make more sense for the fabric to offer this kind of consistency as a service. State maintenance is another common thing. Going back to the concept of needing to be able to discover services, you need to be able to discover and hold information about services through service restarts. So this requires some type of state maintenance. And of course, each application, again, could build a module that carries state between instances, hold state through instance restart and creation, and all of these things. Or if all the applications running on the fabric seem to need this kind of service, it might make more sense to just add this kind of service to the service fabric itself. So essentially, a service fabric can be considered an overlay with consistent performance, dynamic segmentation and micro-segmentation support, and built-in services for consistent and persistent data stores. These, can, these types of services, this consistent and persistent data stores, can be used for server discovery and other needs. A service fabric can actually be an overlay on an overlay. It can be built on top of a virtual topology, which is itself, of course, an overlay on top of the physical network. So you can have multiple layers here in a service fabric. One use case that's interesting discussed in the paper is a federation. A federation is a set of nodes or services that belong to a set. Logically, according to the paper, these services will build a logical ring for routing purposes. When traffic needs to be sent from one member of the federation to another, a local routing table within the service itself is used. Now, this service routing table can be stored within the service fabric and offered as a service rather than within the application. In the example in the paper, this routing table can be distributed using a distributed hash table. This reduces the size of the table on each node to a manageable amount and makes the logical federation allowed to scale, allows that federation to scale. Traffic is sent directly between the nodes, not through the ring topology in the service fabric, however. So service fabrics have service routing or just routing to pull traffic along a string of services. This is much like service function chaining. Membership set management, which includes a persistent data store used for service discovery. They also generally include some type of consistent performance and consistent and persistent data services provided to the applications running on top of the fabric. If you'd like to know more about the world of service fabric, the research paper we're talking about here is a great place to start. That's it for this time. Visit us at thenetworkcollective.com for more content that will help you build your cognitive and metacognitive skills as a network engineer. While you are there, check out our membership, which unlocks even more great content as well as access to an awesome community of network engineers. And remember, you can always find me at rule11.tech. Thanks.